Uh, if you're with us all the time, then you're probably anticipating the start of a series because we ended one on Memorial Day, or James did rather, and then uh, last weekend we talked about fasting, which was kind of this ongoing, though interrupted series. We're not necessarily going to start a series this weekend because what we're going to do this morning and next weekend is, is honor people. You, you may have noticed the confetti, which helps the ADD um, for you and for me. But, but what we're going to do this morning is is we're going to honor some seniors. We did so last service. We're hoping to do so this service, though it seems like some of them may have flaked out. Um, but we're going to celebrate them, and then next weekend's Father's Day, and we'll do that as well. So not really starting a series, though. There's kind of be, be this common theme of courage. Though here's something that God's been working on me with and kind of are working on me about. Uh, and we're really going to begin to dig into this in the fall. But one of the things I've been thinking about is that, that honoring people it, it involves more than just patting them on the butt and telling them good job and Jesus loves them, right? That, that part of honoring people is reflecting life back to them and even pulling one another uh, in, into living more fruitful, more faithful, more sacrificial lives. Would you agree? Like, like I don't know about you, but, but I, I don't need any more people who just kind of tell me warm, fuzzy things. I, I need people who like, love me and authentically are for me and yet at the same time are challenging me to, to live forward. I, I love the way Dave Ramsey says it, that... That leadership, in leadership, you can pull people forward, but you can't push them forward. And to that end, I've been thinking about what is a very uh, central message of Jesus when he said, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Uh, you guys have experienced this. Like, there's the type of people that when you interact with them, it's so refreshing, because there's so many people that it's hard to trust, and there's so many people that breathe life, and there's so many people uh, that, that are thinking forward and thinking others, that every once in a while you interact with one. I mean, that, that's what Jesus is saying, is like, uh, I'm creating a movement of people who will be a blessing to others. In the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. And said so they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Francis Chan points something out about this text that, that has been challenging me as we think about honoring people. And what he says here is that the goal is not that we would live such extraordinary lives that people would look at us or our family or our business or our church and say, wow, you or they or it is amazing. That's the easy part. And it's not even all that easy, is it? But that the real challenge is what Jesus is saying here is that people will look at our lives and they'll go, wow, your God is amazing. And those are two entirely different things. And so as I think about honoring seniors, and yet at the same time as I think about this, there's this one idea that I want to explore that I think is relevant for, for all of us. And it's an idea that doesn't originate with me. I heard it first from Andy Stanley and some leadership stuff over a year ago, and there's no doubt in my mind that it didn't originate with him. But the idea is simply this. We have it on a slide that oftentimes in life, a, a single act of courage is the tipping point for something extraordinary. That oftentimes in life, oftentimes in history, oftentimes in biblical history, it's not that we need these, and we'll talk more about this, these big people who are crazy courageous all the time, but oftentimes in life, a single act of courage leads to extraordinary things in the lives of others and ourselves and our family. Uh, it's true in history. It's true from a biblical perspective. I mean, those of us that value the text and the lives and the stories of those in the text, we see it over and over and over again. Abram, who God said, uh, leave your land and your people and, and go, like follow me. And the result of that single courageous act was a, you know, it gave birth to a people. 
Think of Joseph. Ever considered if, if Joseph hadn't have made that decision to forgive his brothers, what the result of that would have been uh, upon your story and mine, that single courageous act to forgive the very brothers who sold him into slavery, it led to extraordinary things. Joshua, his decision to cross the Jordan River, despite the fact that everyone around him was saying, you're going to get squashed, you're going to get killed, uh, it, it led to the nation, to the temple, and to the Messiah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, we will not bow down to your foreign idols, which led to their being put in the fiery furnace, which led to this remarkable testimony in the salvation of many, many people. Moses, God calls him and says, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to face down Pharaoh. And that single decision to do that, it was the transition point where God's people were set free. And, and his redemptive story was kicked into the next year. And it's not just men, is it? Esther. Uh, the single act of saying, I'm going to go to the king. I'm going to ask for favor. Despite the fact that it was illegal. Despite the fact that it could have cost her her life. It was a tipping point. A nation was saved. God's people were saved. Ruth. Remember her husband died. Her sister-in-law's husband died. Her, her mother-in-law said, okay, we got nothing. So I'm going back to Bethlehem to my people. And you go back to your people. And Ruth said, no, your people are my people. Your God is my God. I'm going back to Bethlehem with you. And Ruth is in the genealogy of Jesus. And it's not just an Old Testament thing either, is it? Peter, the single decision to follow Jesus despite all that came with that. Paul, his decision to, to embrace the truth that the gospel wasn't just for Jews, that Israel wasn't, that, that Jesus wasn't just for Israel, but that the gospel extended to the entire planet, a, a, an idea that would ultimately cost him his friendships and the lives of others. Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, the single decision to go ahead and marry his fiance, who was pregnant, though he'd never had relations with her. Like that single decision. But you know what I think is troubling about all that? Like we could get ourselves all worked up and we could pick a character in the Bible and we could study their single act of of courage. But I think where part of that breaks down is we go, yeah, but like if I was them and history and what was at stake was that large and that obvious, I could be courageous too. And furthermore, uh, you're not a king and neither am I. And God's never going to ask you to face down Pharaoh He's never going to ask you, uh, you know, to, to face down Nebuchadnezzar. He, he, and, and if your fiancé shows up pregnant, right? I mean, like, their story is not our story. Their, their circumstance isn't our circumstance. But, but here's what we know, and here's just this one idea I want to develop for, for seniors and, and for, for all of us, is that there will come moments in life that don't demand that we be courageous people 24-7 every day of our lives, but there will be moments in life that demand courage of us. And if in those moments we can do the very thing that most people can't do, if we can make the courageous decision, well then we'll be facing our pharaohs. We'll be facing Nebuchadnezzar. And though the story probably won't make it to the paper and it probably won't become something uh, that's recorded in history books and it'll probably become, never become the thing of legend those are the tipping points in life, these, these transition points. Now, uh, part of what I hope gives me credibility to talk about this, because when it comes to courage, like, I'm probably the last person that should talk about it, because, you know, like, you know those people that you know that, like, need speed and they need more speed and they're not really having fun unless they might die? You know those kinds of people? Not, not me. <laughs> like, like, those people that if their life isn't at risk, like, it's not fun, 
not me. Uh, in fact, uh, some friends took us to Evil Knievel Days in Butte a couple years ago. Scary to even pull into town, right? Just, just kidding. <laughs> but there's these, you know, those guys on dirt bikes jumping like 40 feet off the ground between these two dirt hills. Uh, this is how uncourageous I am. I could barely watch. I watched about half of it. Most of it I like went for a walk because like, my brain just calculates like, okay, your bike is in front of you, you're holding onto the fender, congratulations, do you have any idea what's going to happen to you if the small piece of plastic breaks from beneath your fingers? So uh, some of you, I think, disqualify yourself from this conversation on courage because you're not that person. You don't wreck yourself on a ski hill because you go from top to bottom without braking. You don't wreck yourself in a car because you want to see if it'll go 130. And, and oftentimes, people with your bent, you go like, I'm not courageous. I would argue that's not really what we're talking about. We're not talking about Captain Courage. There's really two types of courage that I, that I want to talk about. Uh, two situations where I think life demands courage of us. And especially as I was thinking of seniors, and obviously when I'm thinking of all of us, I, I think this is, uh, well, relevant. The first is that there will be times uh, when, when, we, when we're supposed to stay, even though everything around us says go. T- times where, where the courageous thing is to stay, even though everything in us is screaming go. Andy Stanley tells a story about his dad, Charles Stanley, and those of you that, uh, I don't know how to date you without offending you, but some of you know Charles Stanley, who, you know, among the next generation or the last generation is, I mean, he's, he's one of the most popular communicators in the whole world one of the most popular Bible teachers in the world. His, his messages are broadcast in I don't know how many languages and how many countries. I mean, Charles Stanley is kind of the big kahuna when it comes to Christian leadership and communication among you know, his generation. Well, Andy, his son, tells a story that when he was growing up, his dad was on staff at a church, and at one point the lead pastor of that church resigned or was fired, I can't remember which, and, and the result was that the board said to his dad, uh, would you lead the church while we go find a real pastor? That was literally what they said. And, and so you can imagine then the environment that he stepped into and as he was trying to lead this church. And, and it all kind of came to a head at an annual business meeting when at this business meeting, now Charles, this was the day when the lead pastor didn't like sit in the front row or hide in the balcony, but like was on the big throne on the stage. Any of you have seen that? Like, like the pastor, something like you could never leave the stage, right? Music playing, whatever's going on, he's in the big chair. Are, are you with me? Yeah, so... He's sitting, his dad was sitting in the throne and some guy took the microphone on some kind of an open mic event and he started carrying on. And he was cussing and he was getting threatening. And Charles just left his chair and he came, walked up to the microphone and he said, uh, sir, we don't, we don't roll like that. I mean, probably not his language, but that, that's what he was saying. Like, uh-uh. And, and the guy essentially said, uh, back down. And he said, sir, as non-confrontational as you could be, like, no, like, we don't treat each other like that. We're not talking like that. And there was this back and forth that went on I don't know how many times. And eventually, in front of the, you know, several hundred people, the guy just popped his dad and dropped him right on the stage. So you can imagine what it was like for him to, to lead in this circumstance. It was horrible, Andy says. And in fact, at one point, finally, as a, as a kid, he asked his dad, Dad, why don't we just leave? Why don't we go find another church? Well, here's the remarkable thing. That's the church that Charles Stanley leads today. And what his dad said to Andy was he said, Andy... When I listen to my friends, when I look at what's going on around me, when I pay attention to the circumstances, everything in me says go. And when I get on my knees and I pray, God says stay. But sometimes the courageous thing is staying when everything around us says go, isn't it? 
I mean, sometimes uh, there's going to be classes that we want to quit, relationships we want to bail on, leaders that disappoint us, leaders that leave us feel unappreciated, churches that hurt us. Sometimes it's going to be easier to say no thanks to God and disassociate from trusting in him because of all the embarrassing things uh, we and others do in his name. Sometimes it'll be easier to give up on visions, it'll, it'll be easier to give up on ideas, it'll be easier to leave a community, it'll be easier to quit school, and it's not just graduates, is it? Sometimes it'll be easier to quit on a marriage or a relationship or a goal that we have for ourselves physically, uh, spiritual goals, emotional goals, financial goals. Sometimes it's easier to quit. And yet in those times, that there'll be moments when God says it's easier to quit, but I'm asking you to stay. The example of this, as I was thinking about this in my own life, uh, comes from when I was a kid. When, in, in 1987, I would have been nine years old. My dad would have been in his 10th year working for the railroad. I, I grew up in Laurel, and in Laurel, you know, there's really two industries. There's, there's the railroad and there's the refinery. I didn't know that anybody's dad didn't work for the railroad until I was like 18 years old. I think that was just my culture. And uh, when, when I was nine then, in 1987, there was labor strife among the railroads. And, and at the time... Well, all this negotiation, the BN was the railroad in Laurel at the time, and a very prevalent railroad, obviously, in the country. A, a lesser-known businessman came to the table. His name was Dennis Washington. And though he'd had some success in business, he'd never owned a railroad before, and he proposed something pretty bold. He proposed leasing the track from Huntley, Montana, to Spokane, Washington, and actually running his own railroad. It was audacious, it was bold, but the deal eventually went through, and that left every railroader in Laurel with a decision to make. They, they could stay, and that would mean going to work for a new company. Or they could go, and that would mean staying with the BN, which is this very secure, very obviously wealthy organization, and that would mean moving. Uh, most, we, we had friends, in fact, some good family friends of ours down the street, I remember their names were the McKittricks, they moved to Haver. My dad, had he, uh, if he chose to stay with the BN, he would have moved to Haver. And I still remember uh, being in the living room, kind of knowing that there was this thing coming, and I was in the living room with my mom and my sister and her friend Brenda, and I remember the phone ringing, and that's when they were like attached to the wall and you had to go to the kitchen, do you remember that? And I remember her standing there in the kitchen as we were in the living room, and I remember her uh, just listening and then beginning to cry and hanging the phone up. And she turned and she looked to her friend Brenda and she said he, he crossed the line. Which meant he, he made the decision uh, to leave the BN and go to work for this fledgling brand new company. And Brenda said, he's crazy. Now, it's hard for us to appreciate that because we go, Denny Washington, dude, the MRL, holy cow. It's an example uh, to me, that, that sometimes, even though all logic and all circumstance and all relationship says go, sometimes the courageous thing is going to be to stay. And, and there's countless stories that, that say that very thing in this room. And yet, here's what makes it tricky. Here, here's why God has a Holy Spirit who guides and directs. Because sometimes the, the exact opposite is true, isn't it? Sometimes the courageous thing is going to be going when everything around us says Stay. Sometimes the courageous thing is going to be going when all the voices around us are saying stay, but the Holy Spirit, or we get on our knees and pray, and God is saying go. Uh, you know what I think, who's the best example of this is, I think it's Moses. Remember in, uh, well, here's what I think is interesting, is in Hebrews 11, 
the, the author is talking about Moses. And what I love about this perspective is what we're getting is a first century view of how they understood Moses' story. I mean, you know the story. He went to face on Pharaoh. He left wealth, all those different things. But listen to the way the early church thought about Moses. Uh, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Now again, it's easy to just kind of take for granted, like, oh yeah, of course, that was an easy, courageous decision. But stop and think what Moses gave up. Stop and think of the stakes. He, he was a member of the most secure, wealthy uh, kingdom in the world, or at least one of them. And he wasn't just a member of the kingdom, like he lived in the White House. He had the opulence, he had the opportunity, and what the early church says is Moses had the opportunity. What scripture says, he had the opportunity to enjoy that for the rest of his life, and God said, go, and he went. And some of you have dealt with those exact same things and are even dealing with them now. This story is particularly special to me because it's, it framed for me the way I understood the whole journey of myself moving uh, from one place to here. I remember in early 2006 when God started to, I felt like, talk to me about planting a church in Helena. And as soon as I started following Jesus uh, at 19, uh, I had this like dream and desire to lead or plant a church, and that was probably more pride than anything. And, but, but it was in 2006, it was the first time where I felt like God prompted the conversation. I remember exactly where I was. And I just made this decision because I often have really bad ideas that I wasn't even going to talk about this with my wife for a few months and just kind of, uh, you know, feel it out. And of course, after a few months, I did bring it up to her, and then we made a trip to Helena, having not been here since we were kids, and kind of just tried to get a feel for the things. But ultimately, it, it, it came to a point where I knew I was going to have to like, have a conversation with my boss. And at the time, I was working for Harvest, which is one of the best churches in the world. It was one of the fastest church, growing churches at the time. I mean, it was hot. It was a fun place to work. Things were happening. People were coming. It was crazy. I, I got to lead a high school ministry. I got to lead a 20-something ministry. I didn't have to think about dollars and budgets. I just got to spend, like hang out with people, teach the Bible, like none of that stuff. And I, and I kind of knew all that, but I also knew that something had to give. I knew that my effectiveness in youth ministry was gone. And, and, and so the, the situation uh, was, okay, so I got to tell my boss I'm done with high school ministry. And I think I need to talk to him about Helena. And Helena wasn't an epiphany. Like we as a church had talked about planning a church here. Uh, but I knew that like that could go one of two ways. Like either A, good to know you're done with high school ministry, not planting a church, you're fired. Or B, like, yeah, let's explore that. And, and I'm not kidding. Like, it was these verses in Hebrews that helped me to go, like, wait, wait, wait a minute. I didn't have this vocabulary then, but it's the same thing. Like, sometimes the courageous thing is to go, even though it's illogical, even though it defies what everyone around us is saying. Now, that's not to put myself on a pedestal, but to make the point that's, that your Pharaoh... Your Nebuchadnezzar, it might look a lot different. It might not be as dramatic. Gary Haugen tells one of my favorite stories ever, so much so that some of you have heard me tell it, but in a book called Just Courage, Gary Haugen, the founder of IJM, tells a story of when he was growing up, and I believe he was like six or seven years old, and Gary Haugen was the youngest of three brothers. And he grew up in the West or the, or the Midwest or the East, I can't recall, but his dad took him on a trip on an adventure to the, to the Northwest. 
And one of the, one of the places that they visited was Mount Rainier. And when they got to Mount Rainier, they, their intentions were to go on a hike. And so they pulled into the parking lot. And apparently there's like a visitor center there of some sort at the time. And so they went to the visitor center to kind of orient them themselves and get their plan. And as they were in the visitor center, Gary, the youngest of three brothers, six or seven years old, uh, he kind of fell in love with the visitor center and was a little freaked out about the hike. You know, I mean, he's little. He's, gonna, he's the slowest one. And he says his dad was very gentle, but he knew it was going to be a lot of work for him. And eventually, uh, he went to work on his dad and was able to convince his dad to let him stay back in the visitor center while he and his two older brothers went for the hike. And he says that for the first hour that they were gone, it was a blast. You know, it was air-conditioned. There was cool drinking water. There were all these neat displays, and there were TVs and things to look at and things to touch and videos to, to watch. And then he said by about the second hour, it started to get a little dry. He started to get a little bored. And by the third hour, he, he was nothing short of miserable. And finally, uh, when, when his dad and his brothers got back, they were just glowing and they were bouncing. And he said there was uh, no evil intent, but that hike became kind of the reference point of the entire trip. And for the rest of the trip, it's all they talked about, the brothers and the dad, was this trip. And it wasn't to rub it in, but it was just because they had so much fun with their dad on the mountain. And he said later as an adult, it hit him, like, that, that's the life of faith. That, that we have this decision to make. That we can, we can opt for the visitor center. And in doing, miss out on the adventure with our Heavenly Father. Like, we, we can pick what's safe and secure, but when we do that, we, we miss out on the very thing that we all desire, that we all yearn for. Which, which makes me think, what, what if whether you're 18 and just graduated high school or, or, or 50 and an empty nester for the first time, what would it be like to five years from now be able to look back and be able to identify uh, these historical moments in the last five years, these strategic moments where we recognize we came to a crossroads and we were forced to make a courageous decision? What would it be like to get five years down the road and recognize like we, we did that? We didn't opt for, opt for safety. We didn't opt for security. We didn't even necessarily opt for risk and craziness. We opted for obedience to what God was saying. And what would it be like as a church to, to not necessarily uh, get to the point where we go, okay, so we broke even, yay, and now let's just play it safe. But to continue to be a people who, who strive to, to do whatever God calls us to do, whether it's going or staying. See, it's not just my story uh, that involves like going when everything around me logically said stay. There's 30-some of you that moved to Billings, and your stories are filled with a lot more courage than mine because you were coming without a job. And it's not just those of us who, came, uh, who moved to town to plant a church. Some of you left great churches, and you couldn't even explain to your friends why, but there was this sense of like, I, I don't know, God's just, he's telling us to go. And for others of you, uh, the courageous move was, was giving church a chance again, being a part of a community again. I guess what I'm saying is, what would it be like to get five years down the road and not have resolved that we're just going to play it safe, but to continue to go, hey, hey, following Jesus is going to take courage. And we're going to have to do some things that are going to cause us to look stupid. And, and, and the courageous decision always isn't going to be the most popular one. What would it be like to look back and, and though you're probably never going to go down in history like Abraham or Moses or Joshua, to, to know that when, when, when faced with those moments, you opted for God. I, I love the way Paul says it in First Timothy, and, and we'll just end on this. Excuse me, in Second Timothy, he says, for the, spirit of, for the spirit God gave us 
does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline, which tells me that when I'm uh, prone to make a fear-based decision, whether in leadership or while running a trail or whatever, when I'm prone to make a fear-based decision, what this tells me is, well, God doesn't ever guide us to make fear-based decisions. That's that's not his spirit talking when it's fear driving the decision. Finally, for some of you, well, for those of us who follow Jesus, we would quickly say that, that the most important decision we made was a decision to trust Jesus. Not that all the grayness was dealt with, not that we didn't have any more questions, not that some of our frustrations uh, weren't still unresolved, but the decision to trust Jesus and that his indwelling spirit could transform us, that was the most courageous decision we ever made. And maybe for you, uh, that's where you're at, is the decision to, to trust him. Maybe that's, that's the first courageous thing to lead to something extraordinary. I, I want to give you a chance to do that while I close us up in prayer. God, uh, thank you for your son, for life in him, for the gospel, for truth. Thanks, God, for this long string of history that tells us that we're going to come across moments that demand of us courage, the type of courage that most people shrink back from. I pray that we would embrace them and follow you in them. And to that end, God, we we lift up the seniors as well. Uh, You you know what campus involves. You know what newfound freedoms involve and opportunities, God. We we pray that, that those graduating from our sphere of influence would be men and women of courage able to to do the right thing even when the right thing is the hardest thing. Amen.